Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Acts, and we will find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 4, as we continue on in our series called Church on the Move, walking through this account of what happened as the gospel of Jesus Christ spread throughout the known world at the time. As we prepare this morning... What do you treasure more than anything else in all the world? Now, you know you're in church, so the right answer would be Jesus, right? We know that. But I want you to think about that. There, for us, are things that we treasure. There are things that we have. I mean, I would hope that as parents, we would say we treasure our children. There's times we want to hurt them, but then we treasure them, right? We treasure memories, we treasure maybe gifts that people have given us through the years, or maybe we have some memento or something that we have from a grandparent who's passed away or something like that that we absolutely treasure. One of the things that I enjoy watching on television is a show that comes on PBS, and you may call me crazy, but it's Antiques Roadshow. I love watching Antiques Roadshow because I really love when someone brings something they think is incredibly valuable and the person says, it's not worth anything. But then there's times when they show up with something that they don't really know maybe what it is. They think maybe it has some value or maybe they had it appraised years ago and someone told them how much it was worth, but then they bring it and it's sitting there on the table and they begin to ask them questions about it. I saw one episode this past week and this guy comes forward. He's a Vietnam veteran. He comes and he has a watch that he bought on the base exchange when he was serving our country. And the watch is a Rolex. It's a Rolex Daytona. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. If you're a watch person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So he brings this to the table. It's amazing because he said when he bought it, he's like, I wanted to wear it. And then it just crossed my mind that I didn't think I was going to wear it. I wanted to save it. It was a little too nice for me to wear. So this guy bought the watch and he saved it all of those years, never wore it. And it just so happened that it was not just a regular Rolex Daytona. It was a very specific model number that was only made in certain production quantities. And so the guy asks him, the appraiser, he says, now how much did you pay for this watch? He said it was $345 back in the 1970s, which he said, how much was that worth? And he said, well, that's how much I made in a month. He's like, wow. And so he starts talking to him a little bit and He tells them the history of the watch. He tells them all that's going on. And he says, do you want to know how much this watch is worth? How much do you think? And the guy said, "Ah, maybe a couple thousand dollars. And the guy said, a watch like this that's been worn 
would fetch somewhere between four and five hundred thousand dollars. And he said, but this is not one that's been worn. This is one that's pristine, it has its original box, it has its original papers, it has everything that you have, the receipt from when you bought it. This watch would fetch somewhere between six and eight hundred thousand dollars. The guy fell over on the pavement. What he thought was a nice item, a neat thing to have, was a great treasure. So as we go back, as we think about what it is that we treasure in our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the greatest treasure that you have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You think, wow, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, I would take it if someone gave it to me, amen? But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have received something far more valuable than that. Something that money could not buy. And so this morning, as we look at the text, I want us to keep this main idea at the forefront of our time together. Every believer is in possession of the greatest treasure ever given and has been called to share that treasure freely with everyone they meet. We have the greatest treasure that has ever been given. But we've been called to share that treasure with everyone that we meet. Let's look this morning, Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Luke writes, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, 
And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel... And those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. That you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want to notice first with us together the miracle that happens in verses 1 through verse 10 of chapter 3. Let's look back there. Peter and John were going up to the temple. Now let's remember where we are in the story of the book of Acts, what God has done up until this point in time in the early church. 
If you remember, in Acts chapter 1, we encountered Jesus leaving His disciples, ascending to the heaven, giving them the charge that they are to wait until they're filled with the Holy Spirit so they have the power to accomplish the Great Commission, that is, to preach the gospel to all nations so that people are able to hear and respond by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That was the mission that was given to the early church. And so we saw that happen in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit came, that they were given power, the apostles, to preach the gospel in multiple languages of those who were gathered in Jerusalem. We saw that at the end of that day in Jerusalem, that 3,000 people became followers of Jesus after hearing the gospel in their own language and responding by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Last week, we looked at the early church continuing to hear the teaching of the apostles, continuing to serve with one another, continuing to fellowship with one another, that they were able to meet needs that were present, that they were able to continue to preach and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout their day. And we see continually, day by day, Luke tells us that people were continuing to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now we find Peter and John going to the temple around three o'clock in the afternoon. It was an appointed time for prayer for the Jewish people, and they were going at this point in time, I think, strategically, not only to pray, but also for open doors for them to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, what better way to preach Jesus than when people are gathering at the temple? And so they are heading in that direction. They are about to go through the gate. And there's a man who is by the gate who is begging. We find out in chapter 4 that this man was over 40 years old. That he had been lame from birth. And his only option at this point in time, in this culture was to beg to survive. And so that's where he is. He's asking alms or gifts from those who are entering the temple. So verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he does what he always does. Says to them, can you help me out? Can you just give me something? It's interesting that Verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. You ever go through a large city in downtown areas, what's the one thing that you never do? Look at someone who's asking for money, right? We're carrying our girls through San Francisco, and we said, listen, just don't look, just Straight ahead, don't look. Somebody's going to ask you for something, just, just ignore them and keep going. But that's not what Peter and John did. Peter and John look at the man and say to the man, hey, look at us. So the man does. He looks at Peter and John, I think fully expecting a gift. Fully expecting them to give him something. And the fact that they were making eye contact with him probably said to him, they weren't just going to give him a little bit. This was going to be a large gift. 
In fact, they're interacting with him. They're making eye contact with him. So he fixed, verse 5, his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But, verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Now you got to know, in that moment, what that man must have felt. He's expecting some type of financial gift, and Peter leads with, I don't have any money. (sighs) Really? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking that that guy's probably thinking, oh, you're one of those, right? You're one of those. You're one of those who've kind of measured things out and said, I know what he's actually going to spend that money on, and I'm not giving him money. But I want you to notice what he follows with. But what I do have, I give to you. That phrase, what I do have, this past week, jumped off the page. Because Peter and John have the greatest treasure That anyone could have. And they look at this man and they recognize that what this man needs is something far deeper than money can provide. What this man desperately needs is Jesus. And so they look at him and they say, what I do have, I give to you, Notice what he follows up with. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Here's how you know Luke's a doctor. Luke starts talking about what happened physically with this man. Now, for us, we're just thinking, he got up and walked. I mean, it's normal. No, he says his feet and his ankles were made strong so that he could stand up and walk. And we find out not only is he walking, he's leaping, verse 8. He stood and he began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's an amazing miracle that takes place. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him. He's the guy that they didn't make eye contact with going into the temple that morning. They knew he was there, but they didn't engage with him. They just kept going, but they knew of him. They knew he's always there. He's always begging. He's always asking. This guy who's begging for money is now walking and leaping and praising God. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were astounded that this man who formerly was lame, who was begging, was now walking, was now leaping, was now jumping, was now praising God. You know, I thought about this a lot because I wondered, just in my mind, thinking through the text, 
I wondered, does sometimes for us as believers, we don't think we really have a lot. I mean, we would look at people and we interact with people, we hear their problems, we hear their concerns, we know some of what's going on in their lives, maybe it's a coworker or a friend or a family member, and we see and we hear and we know that they have problems, they've got issues, and we think, I, I wish I could give them something to, to help. Like, I wish I could help them out in some way, but we look and we think, I, I don't have the words, I, I, I don't have the money, I don't have what they say they need. And yet, here's the question. Follower of Jesus, what do you have? You have the greatest treasure that has ever been received. You and I possess the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that has ever been given. And when you look deep beyond every single need that we see play out, every single problem that our friends or coworkers have, when you go all the way down to the root issue, the root issue is they need Jesus, and you have Jesus. So in this, Peter and John are not saying, ah, I, wish we could, I wish we could meet your need and help you with, with what you need. No, what they look at and recognize is, we know what you need, and you don't even know that you need it. You need Jesus. You may have come in here this morning, and you're hoping that I'm going to give you some seven-step process to a better life. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, I'm not that smart. But what you desperately need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What you need for your marriage is Jesus. What you need for your family life is Jesus. What you need for your job is Jesus. What you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now I look at this as well and I think, how awesome would it be if... Every single time we came to church and gathered in this room that just to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is all we need, a miracle happened. I mean, like, how cool would that be? I mean, someone walks in and they says, listen, you know, I, I lost my job this week. And I could say, you got a job, just show up Monday. I mean, like, how cool would that be, Right? Or you're sick and you just walk in the door. I mean, later in the book of Acts, we find out that Peter's shadow, as it touches someone when he's walking by, heals them. How cool would I be as a pastor if I could do that, right? <laughs> Show up at the hospital and walk by. And yet, here's what I started thinking about. You and I, if we are followers of Jesus, 
are a walking miracle in this community. If Jesus Christ has transformed your life, has taken you from death to life, has taken you from trapped and dead in your sins to being made alive in Christ, you are the miracle. What Christ has done in you is a magnificent picture of God's grace and mercy at work in the world. So when people look at you and they see that God's grace transformed your life, you are the miracle like what we see take place here. What you do have, a relationship with Jesus Christ, is enough to share With those who think they need something, but what they desperately need is Jesus. That's what we see play out in verses 1 through 10, the miracle. I want you to notice the message that follows. I told you two weeks ago as we were working through Acts chapter 2, when we see the powerful move of God and the Holy Spirit coming, first part there of Acts chapter 2, that every time we see a magnificent work of God take place. It is always followed by a sermon. It's always followed by a clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just the miracle. It's always followed by the message. And here is the message. Peter, once again, who preached in Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, preaches again in Acts chapter 3. As this man, listen to this, clings to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And I mean, when you're a preacher and a crowd gathers, what do you do? You preach, right? Peter saw it. He addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Once again, Peter in this moment reminds them of what led up to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. He says, you were doing this. Like you remember that, right? You were the ones who were cheering and saying, crucify him. You were the ones who were saying, release Barabbas to us and kill Jesus. Said, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You ask, how is this possible? How is this man walking? How is he leaping? How is he praising God? Jesus, that's how. How is his life transformed? Jesus. 
How are our lives transformed? Jesus. So what do we need? Jesus. Verse 17, Now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. So what's the response? Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. How do you go from dead in your sins to alive in Christ? Peter says here, repent of your sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus took your sin upon Himself on the cross, paid for your sins, and was buried, and God raised Him from the dead. That is how You are saved. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Peter said, Jesus is not here now, but He is coming back He's gone for but a short time. He will return. Those days are coming. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So this miracle that takes place in the first 10 verses, Peter says this is just simply one more reaffirmation of who Jesus Christ is. One more time for you to see the power of God at work so that you would turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the message that he preaches. In fact, that's the message he always preaches. He doesn't have another sermon. And I'm thinking as a pastor, how great would that be? (laughs) Just one message. One sermon. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ. Receive forgiveness through His shed blood and His resurrection. Available for you. Believe. That's his message. Now here's the thing, church. That's our message. Follower of Jesus that's here this morning, that is your message. Your life is a walking miracle that displays that for everyone to see. That when you interact with coworkers, when you interact with neighbors, when you interact with people at school, that they see in you a difference because of what Christ has done. Here is the message that's proclaimed. You say, Michael, that's a long sermon. I got maybe a minute. Very simply, God created us to have a relationship 
with Him. That relationship is broken because of sin. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross and be raised from the grave to forgive us of our sins so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's it. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Church, that's the message. So when you look and you say, gosh, you know, it's really hard to share my faith, that's it. That's all that it takes to share with someone what Christ has done. And then they say, well, I'm not sure that it will work for me. And you look and say, if it worked for me, it can work for you. If God can change me, God can change you. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, what is all of this about? I don't think it's by accident that you're here this morning hearing a sermon about how Jesus Christ can transform your life. God made you to have a relationship with you. Sin prevents that. Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Believe in Him and be saved. It's that simple. The simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter preaches it here. I want you to notice what happens as a result. We saw the miracle in verses 1 through 10. We see the message in verses 11 through verse 26. But notice in the first four verses of chapter 4, notice the movement. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why were they upset? Because Peter and John were proclaiming to the Jews gathered here in the temple that salvation can be found in Jesus Christ whom you killed. But God raised him from the grave. They arrested them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So one movement starts here. It's the movement to try as best they can to stamp out Christianity. To try as best they can to take John and Peter here and to say, we're going to arrest you, we're going to see some persecution, come on. We're going to see Saul, who would later be converted and become Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, step onto the scene as well. All with the objective, we are going to stamp out Christianity. No longer will the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed. Here is the problem. You can't stop it. Because when people's lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can't help but tell other people what Christ has done in their lives. So Peter and John are arrested, verse 3. They put them in custody until the next day. But, verse 4, here's the other side of the movement. There's a movement that comes against Christianity. There's a movement that comes against Peter and John as they're proclaiming the gospel. But notice the other movement. But many of those who heard the word believed. 
They heard the message. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said, yes, I believe. The number of the men, listen to this, came to about 5,000. I'm thinking. Started in Acts chapter 2 with 120 disciples. The 12 apostles and then the rest who were with them. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, you've got 3,000. At the end, beginning here of Acts chapter 4, you've got another 5,000. This group of uneducated, untrained people who were often outcasts were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they couldn't help but continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that day by day people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think that that is just for them. I think that can happen today. I think, church, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ wants to transform people's lives, if we truly look at what Christ has done and treasure it for the great gift that it is, that we would take very seriously our call as believers to share that message with every single person we have the opportunity to share it with. Here's what I know. You're going to head out today. And you're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity this week. My prayer for us as a church, for us as believers, is that we would boldly share what Christ has done in us As those opportunities arise. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It just simply needs to be. The truth of what Christ has done in us. Christ can do in someone else. Jesus. Is what they need. Jesus. Is what you need. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that once again we see the great emphasis placed on a clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I have no doubt this morning as we are gathered in this room that there are some here who have never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's not by accident that they're here this morning. You have appointed their steps today. And they are sitting in this room right now, having heard who Jesus is. Having heard that God created them to have a relationship with Him having heard that sin separates them from God, having heard that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection makes it possible for their sins to be forgiven and for them to have a relationship with their heavenly Father. They've heard that this morning, Father.
Would you give them the courage right now to believe that? To personalize that for themselves? To trust Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning? Father, they may have come looking for some self-help tips. Come thinking that they would get something here and yet what they really needed. They've heard this morning. That's that salvation's possible through Jesus if they'd simply believe. Father, for the believers who are gathered here this morning, would you remind us of the great treasure that we've been given? Would it amaze us once again Would it grab our attention once again? Would we treasure it once again? And would we freely share that treasure with everyone that we have an opportunity to share it with? Father, give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us words. So that when we interact over this next week, when those opportunities come, that we would be faithful to share the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our family, with our friends, with strangers. Father, would you begin even now preparing the hearts of those over this next week that will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from someone in this room. Father, use us as your church. Help us not look at what we see in the book of Acts and the amazing things that transformed that world and think that it can't happen here because it can. We ask that in your son Jesus' name. Amen.